We're reading from Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50 on page 731. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he cancelled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt cancelled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the time now we have together. We thank you that it is a, it's a gift of yours to give us your word. And Lord, we thank you that we can ponder these things as a congregation, as a church family. Please help us to grow and respond to you the, the right way today. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Okay, if you've got your outlines there, you'll notice in uh, my introduction point, I've listed the topic, feeling good about ourselves. Now, the question I've got is, have you ever noticed that people can sometimes try to make themselves feel better uh, by comparing themselves to the next person? Try to feel good at the expense of somebody else. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you've been the one who it's been at your expense. But I've known lawyers who, when they know they'll win a case against another lawyer, say with a sense of pride, I'll fix so-and-so, and, -so, and uh, say it proudly in front of their client. They'll, they'll have the upper hand. 
I've been part of teams where when they know they've um, beat the other team, they can speak of themselves in glowing terms and speak of the other team as rubbish. I've heard dancing students who laugh at when they get past uh, the other dancers to win the prize and mock their competitors, saying things like, well, quitters don't get anything. And so they can feel good about themselves because of their competition. But the list goes on too, doesn't it? Can you ever recall teachers who've big-noted themselves and made them feel good at the student's expense? Employees who try to have the supremacy over another employee by talking down other employees to the bosses and, and uh, talking themselves up. Or army officers or police officers who make sure that everybody knows what rank they really are. It just seems to be part of our world, doesn't it? At times people can try to make themselves feel better about themselves at the expense of others. But while people are trying to pump themselves up and look down on the next person, there are actually problems with that kind of approach to life too, as we'll soon see through this passage. Now, I said earlier the, uh, the tone has changed from the kind of boppy music we were listening to because the tone of this passage today is quite a sober one. On the one hand, we're confronted with some great sadness, some deep sadness, and on the other hand, we're also confronted with some pride that needs to be corrected. But the challenge for us this morning is to uh, come to grips with the passage before us and to see what we can take away from this text uh, today so that we can grow in godliness and maturity. So that's where the challenge is to keep learning from our Master Jesus together. Well, the historical context for today's passage is it's set in the north of Israel. Uh, Jesus has not long uh, healed a centurion's servant and the centurion has uh, come to, to faith in Jesus. He's a Gentile. And that happened in the area of Capernaum. So we're up north in Israel. Recently, he's raised to life a widow's son, a widow at Nain. And so there's no real extra joining in this passage. So it seems to be that this story is growing out of Nain, or at least up the north in Israel. In the last few chapters, Jesus has been very active in his ministry. He's preached the good news of the kingdom of God and even Gentiles like the Roman centurion and also social outcasts like uh, tax collectors have come to faith in Jesus. And through the miracles that he's performed, such as healing of the sick, driving out the demons, raising the dead, uh, the crowds have witnessed. And we've also witnessed as we've looked at these things together, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. We're getting a taste of what God's wonderful uh, new age is going to be like at the end. But not all have um, been welcoming of Jesus who brings in God's kingdom. Last week we read about how Jesus compared his generation to being like children who are hard to please. Uh, we sang a dirge, he's talking about Jesus and John the Baptist, we sang a dirge but you did not dance. And then he goes and says... The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And today, we meet 
the people who seem to fit into those groups. One, on the one hand, there's the group that was sceptical of Jesus, the ones who were like children who were hard to please. And Simon is, uh, is part of that group, part of the Pharisees, who some of them were sceptical about Jesus. And yet we also meet, uh, we're introduced to the woman who's an outcast. She's described as having lived a sinful life. And she's the kind of person that Jesus is being hanging around, if I could put it that way, to give him that kind of reputation for the criticisms and the slander that he, he's received, that he's a, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So we, we get those two groups today. Well, the scene is set in verses 36 to 38, and I'll read that section. When one of, the, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair kissed them and poured perfume on them. Now, as a Pharisee, Simon was a member within a group of Israel who were very fastidious about their law-keeping. Uh, they were particularly concerned about their customs of purity, uh, the way they might observe the Sabbath and even in their tithing. Their name Pharisee has its sort of origins in being a separate group. And some have argued that the Pharisees were we're trying to be quite careful about law-keeping and wanted the nation to get their act together as law-keepers so that God might bring in the kingdom. That might have, that's some people's explanation for why they were motivated in this way. But even though the Pharisees were careful about their food laws, they still wanted to have a meal with Jesus. And that's what we see in the Gospels. Uh, Jesus gets invited to the Pharisees' place to have a meal and it happens later in Luke's Gospel as well, in chapter 14. He's again having a meal at a Pharisee's house. Now, the way that the people ate during those times is a bit different to our day and age. Um, we like to sit at a chair oftentimes and sit up to a table. Uh, but in those days, they laid down on some sort of lounge on the floor at a little table. They leaned on their left arm and then ate with their right hand and their body was outstretched away from the table. So if you, if you looked down and saw it, it'd be more like a wheel with spokes kind of coming out. And so it's in that context that this uh, woman comes. She just wanders in. Uh, in. In our society, we'd probably call that some gate crashing, like some teenager's 18th birthday party where there's a pool party and people just turn up and you hopefully have a few big jock guys to, you know, nick this rabble off. But uh, in this society, the private life wasn't quite the same as it is in Australia. And so if doors were open at times, uh, people, friends, even curious passers-by, perhaps even beggars could just wander in. And this woman hears that Jesus is there and she comes and approaches his feet. We don't know her name. It's not recorded. But what we do know is that she's lived what's called a sinful life. And so it doesn't take us a lot to guess that she's probably had quite a lot of sorrow in her life and her, it's probably been a very, very complicated life. Well, when she stands there in the presence of Jesus, uh, she's overwhelmed. And as she cries, her tears fall on his feet. 
And it's difficult to know what she's thinking next, whether she's thinking, oh, that was a problem and she's, she's trying to make things better. But she goes down and wipes the tears with her hair and then she pours the perfume on his feet. Now, I don't know what you'd make of that situation where you witness somebody standing there and they're so overwhelmed, they're so weighed down with their sorrow that they start to burst into tears. I don't know if you've witnessed events like that. You might have even been the person who has broken down in tears. Uh, but if you've seen it, it's, it's difficult in many ways not to feel with a person who's so overwhelmed. And this being a, a public situation would just make the intensity of the moment even, even more serious. But Simon watches and he wonders. But we get the impression that he's wondering less about this lady and the sorrow that she's been through in life. And he's just more curious about what Jesus' response is going to be towards her. And so in point three in my outline, I've noted that Simon's curious about Jesus, and we see that in verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Well, Simon might have heard quite a few reports about Jesus, and he might be still formulating his opinion about Jesus, still coming to and arrive at a conclusion about whether Jesus is a prophet or not. Some of the Pharisees uh, did have time for Jesus. We know from John chapter 3 that some did believe he was a prophet from God because of the miracles he performed. But now Simon, I think, has figured it out. He thinks he's worked it out that Jesus can't be a prophet because if he was, he'd know who's touching him. Well, the Pharisees might have been pretty sensitised to uh, who was touching for reasons of ceremonial purity and cleanliness. And he might assume that Jesus is quite hung up on these outward symbols or signs of being so-called holy. And so he concludes that Jesus probably isn't a prophet and that Jesus doesn't understand what's going on. Well, somebody doesn't understand but it certainly isn't Jesus. In fact, he knows uh, what the woman's situation's been and he also knows that she now is a forgiven sinner. Further, he knows what Simon is thinking about this situation. Although Simon's curious about Jesus and his reaction and Simon's busy judging and assessing Jesus, at the same time, Jesus is also weighing up Simon and he's ready to challenge Simon to maturity as well. So Jesus offers a parable related to this situation. It's quite nifty, isn't it, when you can get a, a story uh, that's really well worked to a situation. It can make, make a big splash and have an impact. So Jesus says in verse 40, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Well, a denarius represented about a day's wages, and so 
while one man owes about two months' wages, uh, the other man owes about a year and a half. It's not much fun being in that kind of debt. And as we say in Australian idiom, both of them are hard up for cash. And so they can't pay. But in an extraordinary act of grace and generosity, the creditor, the money lender, he wipes the debts. And in answer to the question, which of, which of them will love him more, Simon gets it right. He gets 10 out of 10. Uh, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. Well, of course, this is really a parable, isn't it, about, about God and his forgiveness. We can identify with the, the ones who are indebted uh, for our list of shortcomings and failures to, to love God, to serve him and give glory, honour and thanks to him and to live his way. In fact, um, every human being is a debtor before God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, Simon's very conscious of the, of the woman's shortcomings, but he's less focused on his own. And Simon's been busy judging Jesus for being in contact with this woman because he's all caught up with the outward appearances of, of piety. Jesus, on the other hand, is very concerned with the heart. Simon, unfortunately, is quite blind to his own failures. He's not great at looking at his own heart. That's an area where he, he falls down. And so Jesus helps to rebalance Simon's assessment of himself. And he joins the dots, if I, if I could say it that way, and he starts to apply this parable. In verse 44, Then he turned to, toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Now Simon certainly might not have had a, a life like the woman's life, which seemed to be characterised probably by a great deal of promiscuity. But now, forgiven, she's showed her love for Jesus, a great deal more uh, love for Jesus than Simon has shown. She might have fallen short, there's no doubt about it, but so had he. For Jesus was a traveller, and it would have been uh, nice for Simon to have showed some care toward Jesus and have provided that some of the kinds of things that were in that list uh, that Jesus outlined. Instead, Simon's characterised by a bit more pride, self-righteousness, uh, a, a spirit of judgmentalism, judging everybody else. He shows a lack of love for Jesus and that's shown in his lack of hospitality. We can see it in his actions that he doesn't really care. He ultimately fails the love test. He loves little. But the grace of Jesus is made clear in in verses 48 to 50. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, 
Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Just as the creditor forgave the debts uh, in the parable, Jesus shows generosity, kindness and grace in being the one who forgives sins and offers salvation. And the woman knows him what it means to be forgiven. She knows how much she's been forgiven and we're told that's why she loves much. The other dinner guests also recognise that Jesus is very special. As he says, your sins are forgiven, they note that he's got the authority to forgive because remarkably only God alone can forgive sins. They're, they're coming to terms with the identity of Jesus. They're still coming to terms with Jesus is actually God come into the world to visit his people and bring salvation. Well, the forgiveness of the woman and her love for Jesus remind us of other parts of the Bible that teach about this type of thing. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, we read, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Because God's first loved us and shown us kindness, uh, we in turn can respond in love towards God. But what about Simon? Well, apparently he loves little. Is he even aware of the, the plank in his own eye? Is he even aware of his need to be forgiven as well? Well, perhaps this um, could have been a very therapeutic conversation for Simon, a, a bit of a turning point in his life where somebody's finally actually stood up to him and, and pointed a few home truths out so that he can become a bit more aware of his own ungodliness, his own sin. But the question really, the business deal, if I could put it that way, for us, before we go out of here today, is, is to really think about you and I and who do we identify with. I've heard it said there's a bit of the woman in us and there's also probably a bit of Simon in us as well. You think about the times when you might have been overwhelmed with guilt uh, and sorrow because of blunders that you've made. Things that we might be embarrassed about because of our sin. Well, the good news for us is to remember again the grace of God, that if we're united to Christ by faith, we too are forgiven much and in turn we can love much. It's unnecessary probably to list uh, all of the errors and the sins that we need to be forgiven from. Suffice to say that we're all imperfect people. We do uh, make mistakes in many ways. We've all sinned against God and rebelled, each in our own secret ways. We don't, we're not going to publicise all of these things, are we? There's uh, little point in denying that uh, we, do, we do fall short. But like the woman, we need to recall uh, the wonderful forgiveness and the comfort of that forgiveness that's offered through Jesus. And so like the woman, we can, we can be very grateful and love much. But can we also identify with Simon? Like Simon, is it uh, too much for us to look at our own failings? Is it easier for us to uh, judge people from the things on the outside? I I've got to tell you a story, this is a little bit intriguing. I was speaking with someone semi-respectable recently and they were saying that when they look at people with their tattoos on and, and their nose bone or whatever it is, 
He said, uh, yeah, sometimes I look at those people and they, they respond and say, what are you looking at? He thinks, oh, I'll just keep a low profile and keep, keep moving. He says, yeah, but what does it matter? You know, they're just, there's just nine, pe- nine billion people in the world, whatever. I could, I'll just keep cruising. I was listening to him and I'm thinking, well, okay, maybe there are nine billion people in the world. He's probably wrong about that figure. But um, so what? They're still people. And whether they don't look conservative and middle-aged like you, it doesn't matter. They're still made in the image of God. It's easy to dismiss people and look down, but I I just don't think that's the spirit of Christianity. Now, I've lost my part in my notes, so I'll I'll head back to that. (laughs) So here's the next question. Uh, Can we handle doing the hard work of facing our own faults? and perhaps becoming a little less self-righteous. Now, I said at the start of the sermon, people can sometimes try to feel better about themselves by looking down on the next person. But there are problems with that approach to life. Have you noticed that? There were problems in today's passage. The problem is that if we become so focused on the shortcomings of others, we might start to lose the ability or lose the capacity to start seeing some of the areas where we make our own contribution to shortcomings and our own blunders. And so if we're finding it hard to see our own because we're so busy looking at other people's, it's harder for us to turn from the things where we fall short too. And so today I think God invites us once again to have a look at our own hearts uh, so that we can see our sins and our shortcomings and start to keep working at turn from those things. To become a little bit less like Simon in this parable and a bit more like Jesus. And we can, again, appreciate his grace and generosity and forgiveness towards us. Well, that's the challenge for today. Let's continue to be a little less like Simon, a bit more like Jesus. Let's look at our own hearts and focus on working on our own godliness. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we do thank you for your kindness and generosity towards us in Christ. We thank you that Jesus died and that he rose again for our sins and that we can enjoy the experience of your forgiveness and your kindness bringing us into your family. And Lord, as we live as your people now, we pray that we wouldn't be like Simon, having a spirit of judgmentalism and a spirit of pride. But Lord, we instead just pray that we'd um, have a spirit of humility and be more like Jesus. And so, Lord, as we um, live before you, we pray that we look at our own hearts and change the things where we're falling down. And, Lord, in our, our own blunders in relation to each other, we pray that you'd help us uh, to look at our contributions to trouble as well. And, Lord, we do pray for the courage to do that so that we might see just a little bit more clearly our involvement. And we pray that you'd help us to grow in wisdom. Lord, we thank you for days like today when we even collectively can think about these things as a church and and hopefully even become a more godly church for your glory and for your honour. And so we do pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.